The Water Values Podcast, Session 131. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thanks so much for joining me. Really uh, think you're going to enjoy today's show. We have a lot going on. We have Frank Burns of Apana as our feature interview. Frank's going to talk to us about uh, managing water like inventory and he's going to talk about smart cities uh, in terms of how smart city, how cities can manage their water in a smarter way and, and kind of take advantage of the smart cities movement. Uh, we also have Keith Hayes, who's here uh, in place of Reese Tisdale for the Bluefield on Tap segment. Keith is a co-founder of Bluefield Research, and he's going to give us some insights uh, from Bluefield Research on the current water market. Uh, before we get going on that, as usual, we have some a uh, little bit of housekeeping. Thank you very much for the uh, two additional uh, five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts this uh, over the last uh, two weeks. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you have, if you're enjoying the podcast, I would like to leave a uh, rating and a review. That would be great. Uh, would it's just a great way to to let others know that you enjoy the podcast and you know why you enjoy the podcast. So. Uh, thanks very much for the five-star ratings. If you haven't rated or reviewed it, please consider doing so. Uh, also, if you'd like to help support the podcast by leaving a donation, uh, you can do that on the website, thewatervalues.com. Go to the website, scroll down a little bit. There's a little PayPal button. Make it real easy for you. Any denomination is greatly appreciated and helps defray the cost of putting it on the podcast. So with that, uh, we're going to start off with Bluefield on Tap. Well, Keith Hayes, welcome to the Water Values Podcast for the uh, Bluefield on Tap segment. This is your first time with us. Uh, you know, Keith, could you, could you tell us a little about yourself, kind of give us an introduction to you and where you fit in Bluefield, where you're located, that kind of stuff? Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Well, uh, what what is Bluefield bringing to us this week? Kind of what you know? What are you seeing? What trends do you see in the water industry that we need to be aware of uh, this week? Technologies for smartphones, for 
buildings management and in some cases the municipal water tanks as well. Interesting. Now, have you uh, do you have any kind of thoughts on whether this is this is an issue that is brought about by number one just the technology now being available, maybe the, the cost of the technology has lowered enough where people are taking advantage of it, or is it uh, because the price of water has started to increase with, with various rate increases coming along, or is it a combination of both? Or do, do you have any, any perspective on what might be driving it? Right, right. Because that that also, uh, uh, you know, from, from the utility side, the more you can save on the non-revenue water, the the that's the cheapest water you can find, right? In terms of, you know, of developing new sources, so it it 
it really delays capital improvements to build new well fields and find new sources of supply. So I think that's a great, great perspective. And I really appreciate your, the, the international touch you gave there with uh, how some of the other, other countries are, are dealing with this. Uh, what, is, is there anything else along these, the IOT um, lines are, are, are utilities and, and businesses just getting more comfortable with, with technology? Any, any thoughts along those lines? So, uh, you know, I, I think it's important to consider that kind of regulatory environment, in, in particularly in other countries, I think, where they, they seem to be a bit more advanced, particularly in the U.K. In the U.K., you have uh, mainly a, it's a privatized water sector, so all of, all of the water utilities are relatively large, regional, privately owned networks. And the regulator is setting outcomes-based targets related to the amount of leakage, the amount of water quality events, stormwater events, and that is definitely pushing adoption of these of these technologies. And they have to comply with it. They have to report data on that every year. And some other countries have adopted some of those policies. I would say you start to see a little bit more of that in Australia. Some, to some extent, uh, certain U.S. states have looked at at least requiring water audits, for instance, in, in Georgia. And so, you know, again, I think on the utility side, it really comes down to some of the regulatory drivers that then get them thinking about not just compliance, but then also how to reduce some of the costs around it because it makes good sense from an outbank's point of view. Excellent. Well, Keith, we really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much, uh, and appreciate uh, you, you accommodating us with the time difference over there in Barcelona from, from uh, the Eastern time zone. So thanks again. Really appreciate you coming on. We'll talk soon. Uh, bye, Keith. Well, Keith gave us some great insights. Really appreciate him coming on in Reese's stead this this uh, this month. And he, again, fantastic job. Always learn something talking to those guys at Bluefield. So really appreciate them coming on. Uh, now we turn to our feature interview with Frank Burns of Apana. And you are really going to enjoy this. Uh, Frank does a great job kind of talking about uh, his journey in preventing water waste and trying to solve the problem of waste, you know, wasted water um, in the built environment. And it, it's really kind of mushrooming for him, as you're going to hear, but uh, I'll let him get into that. So fasten your seatbelts, open the valves, and here we go. Well, Frank, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, for starters, how about telling us a little about yourself and uh, your background, how you got interested in water? Mm-hmm. The buildings and the campus. Well, I started looking upstream and figuring out, hey, you know, we have a lot of waste up there. And 
control that waste, we could basically eliminate the need to expand these plants by capacity. Well, that was about 20 years ago. And from that point forward, I've really focused on eliminating waste and how do we eliminate waste in the water use profile and avoid that unnecessary contamination that requires us to build larger infrastructure, spend more energy, spend more cost, and that that started me out on this path. And to get to the point on how you actually resolve the problem, it took an awful lot of tricks of the trade, but eventually, Nothing worked until we had technology that allowed us to really do it in real time. So that's how I got started. I didn't start out wanting to be the founder of a technology company focused on creating LoRa-enabled IoT devices that pump data to the cloud every minute where advanced analytics process the data and make sense of it in real time to guide people on the front line on what to do when they have a problem. That wasn't what I set out to do. I set out to eliminate water waste from the built environment, strictly because I started seeing that we have a lot of it. And now that we have literally thousands of places under monitoring, I can tell you it's about the waste profiles anywhere between 20 to 30% of our water consumption is waste. So we're, we haven't solved the problem yet, but it, <laughs> we are well down the path, and I think uh, uh, I'm very bullish on it because technology changes are making it possible um, and, and really driving significant success where in the past, you know, I would focus on training just to watch it fail because it was never reported and made usable. So that's how I got started on this path. Um, okay, so so let me ask you this: um, most, I, I guess, most folks would think if they see uh, excess, you know, more flows coming into the wastewater treatment plant than they would have expected, they the first place they would have looked would be the actual collection system rather than the the actual users putting the effluent into the system. So how, how did you how did you kind of get beyond the collection system and and arrive at uh, essentially inefficient usage in in the uh, uh, the built environment uh, interesting our facilities our wastewater plants are for uh, commercial developments that don't have a municipal connection so we we know the property basically inside the fence line is our expertise and so we knew started looking upstream and uh, from a municipal perspective there is a lot of uh, influence filtration uh, stuff going on but when you actually look at a property inside the property line then you can start narrowing in and that's where uh, you know 20 years of detail on swimming upstream and mapping every single failure point and there are many of them they are both mechanical and human um, has uh, uh, guided us. Um, so, so we were just just by virtue of how we started, we we were able to.
to narrow in on the uh, specifics inside that property line. Now, fast forward to where we are now, we approach uh, properties from a whole fence line perspective. So we take, it's landscape irrigation, there are buildings, you can have uh, evaporative cooling systems, cooling towers, things that make sense to monitor, we, we measure, report on in close to real time so that you can see basically the fingerprint of how they operate uh, from a measurement and verification perspective. You, there, there's no guesswork, it's, it's, it's all measurement. Um, and then with those very precise real-time measurements, you can program advanced analytics to digest it and see, hey, there's an anomaly going on at this specific spot and it maps out guidance to help the people in that area, first off, know what it is, then what to do and, and, and how to fix it. And the, uh, that's transformative. That is really um, a significant change because if you look, think, think about the building you're in and then look outside and see all the buildings that you can see, they manage water based off of a water table that tells them they may have had a problem a month or two ago. They don't know the nature of the problem. They don't know if it was human waste, people sweeping the floor with a hose or left something on. They don't know if a machine has a hidden failure that's just going into a drain that nobody can see. If you measure in real time, and have the analytic capacity to deal with that mountain of data and make sense of it, you, you can tell specifically what the issue is. And uh, that is where, um, that's where this is going. Uh, 10 years from now, I, I think uh, our, our goal is to make water management, um, eliminating waste as common as solid waste recycling is today. And uh, technology is going to play, it makes that possible, essentially. Uh, it, conservation experts have been working on this for many, you know, a long time. But now that we have technology, call it Internet of Things, advanced analytics, whatever you want to call it, we, now that we have this way to connect stuff in a practical way, cost-effective, so that it can scale, um, it's possible. And... Uh, that's where I, that's where this going from the inside the fence line expertise that we've, that we concentrate on to this idea of smart city water management um, is, is the, the next step. And we're actually beginning work with cities to leverage their hard assets, their infrastructure, their metering infrastructure to provide them near real time reporting uh, to eliminate waste. So, um, well, That's the exciting part of where this is headed. Yeah, I really want to dig into that smart city stuff. But before we get there, you, you mentioned uh, a number of failure points. You said there's both mechanical and human failure points. Uh, what, what are some of the common uh, failure points that you, you see and uh, are, are attempting to remedy? Oh, boy. It's <laughs> Big question. <laughs> Place that water is used, every endpoint, faucet, fixture, 
water soccer, valve, hose connection on the roof. They'll have <coughs> uh, rooftop units that might use water to, for cooling purposes. Um, bakery ovens, for example, are connected to water because they have a humidification that's required. They fail. It's everywhere. Photoshops have silver recovery devices that are connected to water. We had one of those devices fail and it cost $11,000 in water before they finally narrowed in on it because they didn't believe the data. So it, it really is across every endpoint that water is connected to mechanically. And then think about every person that uses water. They also become the cell point. So you have all these mechanical features that are in our built environment across every single building, every irrigation system, cooling tower, et cetera, and then all the people that touch water. That's what makes it so difficult to control waste. The waste is at the endpoints. So that is why we ended up, to be able to do this, we ended up migrating to having to measure in near real time to be able to see it so that we could tell the right people in a way that was useful for them what was going on and what to do. Absent that ability, we were spinning our wheels. Now remember, I, 20 years ago, I wanted to solve the problem with the wastewater plants. So I would train people and we would go back and retrain them. And I had opportunity to train and put in process and procedure and beg and it always failed because it was never measured and reported on in a meaningful way. So, like I said, I didn't start out to be the founder of a technology company. I was forced to do it. I had to do it. it, it there was no other way to get it going. And, right. Um, now we're pretty far ahead on this subject and running real fast. We have the largest LoRa deployment in North America. We have um, Fortune 100 clients deploying us. Costco Wholesale has put us in every location across North America. Um, and because it works, because measuring in high resolution allows you to find the problem with enough specificity that you can help solve it. Got it. Got it. So, so you mentioned Laura a couple of times. I know for those, for those listeners who may not have heard, uh, uh, Jeff Engelstein a couple of episodes ago, talk about the various, you know, uh, networks, so to speak. Laura was one of the ones he identified. Can you tell us what Laura is for, for the benefit of the folks who haven't heard that, that discussion yet? Think of it as a supercharged Wi-Fi, where in your home, you have a connection to a Wi-Fi that, that provides, that allows you to connect, but you can't really connect in every single spot of your home, so you have to put in these repeaters. LoRa is a private, is, is a radio system that enables you to stick in a communication network, a private network, uh, and they can be public as well. But you have real long ranges, and we have them reporting, you know, Jeff had talked about three quarters of a mile. We have them reporting eight miles uh, line of sight, and our typical ranges are in the about a mile to a mile and a half range. So what that means is you stick in a 
uh, like a Wi-Fi router. You stick an Allura router, one of our gateways, into a, a building, and you put in the antennas, and you can monitor things within about a mile radius of that at no cost, at, at simply the cost of putting the radios in. Now, we backhaul that data through a cellular connection. So you can have literally hundreds of things that make sense to monitor reporting through this um, uh, radio frequency and uh, at, at no additional endpoint cost. Contrast that to cell, where if you had a th 100 endpoints, you'd need to pay a fee for every single one. Um, our, uh, we focus on using LoRa because we needed stuff to work. Um, we brought in drone designers who worked on their original Navy drones. And when you think about how you design a, a Navy drone, it has to be in the air for a very long time. So it has to have ultra low power consumption. And you got to talk to it, which means you need to long distance communication. That's exactly the problem set I had with irrigation meters on the edge of a property on a campus. So we went through all of the options that we could fit when, you know, we tried a bunch of things and failed, basically. And that's when these engineers said, look, this Laura thing, this is a couple years ago, this could really work for us. And we, we went deep in it because uh, it did work. And it allows us to go into a campus and put a couple collection points and cover everything. And with, with significant stability. <laughs> It has to work, you know, you can't have stuff going down um, when, when you're doing the type of work that we're doing. So that's why I think this migration to smart city is so at hand. Uh, um, in fact, we're, we're demonstrating it. You know, you stick a, we, we have a building wired up in the Phoenix Valley and we're connecting municipal meters through that monitoring point um, as a demonstration project because the city already owns those meters. You know, it doesn't cost the city anything. Right. Now they've, taken, they've taken an asset that they currently own and they're getting once a minute data off of it and that data is being processed by an analytics engine that's designed to deal with that data flow and make sense of it. Well, we're finding, I mean, that, those spots, we're finding all kinds of waste events, mechanical events. We have operators who are have a preference that is against best management practice. So you, you, you no longer have the explain away syndrome when you have measurement and data in a high enough resolution that there's just no argument, right? Right, right. Suffered with the explain away syndrome for years. Talking to professional experts about what was necessary and oh, why they're unique and why this is necessary. Yeah, it's mind numbing. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Just, just thing you you talked about collecting data every minute. I mean, just just thinking about how many data points you're collecting a day is mind numbing, and how how that. that that gets processed. I mean, uh, so, so what I found very interesting was you said that when you're collecting all the data, the, mach the, the software will tell you where there's a problem. 
Is that what I'm getting? So it's almost like turnkey for the for the user, so so they don't have to worry about manually reading all the stuff. It just spits out, hey, problem, and pinpoint and pin and pinpoints where it is. you can identify it because they typically have a very distinct fingerprint and and that allows us to with sometimes incredibly accurate precision say it is this go do this exactly right now other times it might be muddled to say where where you have to say it's in this area it started here it looks like this check item one two three and four um and, and then other times there's clients that just want, you know, that have no clue as to what's going on with water inside of their property. And they want some level of, of measurement and insight. So they're, they're, you, you wrap it into reporting and roll-up that becomes meaningful and useful for them. And then they're able to begin to connect it to their existing operations and management infrastructure so that somebody can receive the alert and be automatically told what to do when there was an issue. To answer your question, the it's impossible to do it without uh, an analytics suite that is designed specifically for this. Got it. Got it. So, so let me ask you this. How, how much water usage is typically required before this type of system makes sense? Oh, excellent question. Uh, um, about 5,000 gallons a day is a good rule of thumb. So a, a decent-sized grocery store uh, definitely trips the um, uh, threshold. A, a small coffee shop today doesn't make sense uh three to five years from now it might um and, and, and here here's the sort of entree into the smart city thing where I, i'm talking about what we're doing right now the types of clients we're serving and that who are knocking on our door saying i have a goal i have no clue how to meet my goal of uh reducing my water use so those clients are, you know, they tend to use more than 5,000 gallons a day. We go in and basically run them through a process and say, within 90 days, you're going to have results. Follow this, do this, boom, and, and we, we guide them. From a smart city perspective, a lot of that infrastructure, in many cases, is already owned by a city. So the cities that we're working with right now, they have meters, right? So we don't have to go in and install a meter or the sensorization is, you know, 60% already in the ground. So we just need to connect those devices to the reporting, get the information back to the city in a way that's useful for them, but then use it to do what we call manage water-like inventory inside the property line. So as opposed to say telling a client, 
90 days till you get results. We're going to follow this, you know, very um, simple path. If while we're in, in a collaboration that, that I see the future unrolling where we take city assets and allow cities to do this at scale, you're, you're going 10 days to results at 15% of the cost. That's why I think this smart city water management is the new big idea. Yeah, so I, well, that's fascinating. I'd, I'd love to. I'm going to pick your brain more about that. Let me ask you this because I want to make sure I have the incentive structure right. So, uh, and, and forgive me if I missed what you you said, but I I think you said tying the essentially the sensors on the other side of the meter to the sensors on the the water utility side of the meter, so that the water utility knows when the where in the customer system the problem is happening. Is that is that what I heard you saying? Right. And it just, it knows all the water that goes in. Many times that, that and, and they may have an irrigation meter uh, as well. Right. What I'm talking about is the city owns those. They're there. And in places where the city has a conservation goal uh, or, or is, you know, facing the need to buy more water rights um, or existential threats like the Colorado River, is declared in shortage. Mm-hmm. Those types of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, they own these meters. They're in the ground, and the ones that can be connected is very quick and simple, and that enables everything that all of this high precision water management for the the client inside of the property line. Uh, Apana provides you know that 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 uh, inside the property line. Service, but we do it by in collaboration. At the test site, we're doing uh, we're doing it in collaboration with the city. Where the city said, "Yes, collect connect your radio to my meter and provide me the billing data back into my back end, and then allow my conservation people to see how this works." And uh, we don't have a I don't have the model in demonstration as to how this is going to work at a city level, but it is working. The findings are overwhelming. And essentially, it's um, based as opposed to Apana installing a meter for the property owner redundant to a city meter. In that case, we just use the city meter and, and collaborate with the city. Um, Many times, in fact, most times, there needs to be additional water meters installed inside the property. For example, if they have a cooling tower, have to monitor that because it's a symphony of failure points. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it's just they're 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 crazy. They they fail mechanically and operationally on a daily basis. You fix it and they come back. Same situation in irrigation. We have literally thousands of well thousands of examples in the past you know three months of this stuff um so at any rate this is this is just a natural part of the built environment back to the idea though uh where i see a future going you know and what i'm trying to poke at and get uh 
thought leadership with cities around is this idea that they're asset rich. They own all these meters. They've got them in the ground, um, and many of them aren't connected. And we've got, you know, there's others as well, but we can, the, the meters that make sense, it's those commercial, industrial, institutional property meters that um, can, that, that are, 5% of the city's meter, but 90% of their headache and probably 80% of their waste profile, connecting just those to this sort of real-time, manage water-like inventory um, backbone, that's transformational. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with you. And so in my promise to, to bring this around to smart cities finally um, uh, and smart city water usage, just talk to us about what your vision for the, the smart city water usage looks like uh, to the extent you haven't already hit it. Sure. The, uh, I, I came up with the concept of manage water like inventory because I started on this 20 years ago, right? And nobody was talking about the idea of eliminating unnecessary water use and contamination because water is abundant, relatively cheap. All of our systems and processes are designed out of abundance, and, and, it, and it isn't a it hasn't been um, a, a, a real thing like solid waste recycling. Solid waste recycling is real, right? Well, this how how did I I needed to convince commercial center operators that that this was uh, first off possible and then something that should be done um, and I needed to talk in a way that that they that would connect with their brain and uh, um, you think of a big commercial group like you think of a, a you know Costco or a Walmart or uh, any other large commercial operator, they understand inventory really well, and they understand tracking it, and they have processes and procedures. All businesses do, even government. Well, that's why I said we should manage water in this with the same care that we manage inventory. Now, the, the trick is, is there was never an infrastructure to be able to do that in a way that was practical. People aren't in the business to manage water. They're, they have other goals and objectives. It's part of what they do. So... Because it's so clumsy, from an accounting perspective, water is considered an uncontrollable expense, literally. That's how it's accounted for on the books of most organizations. And so I, I, my thought is that we need to move it from the uncontrollable expense category to things, to, to like an inventory category, where we actually control it, manage it, eliminate waste, and abhor the waste around water. And uh, I, I have, I know for a fact that that would reduce the water use across mu much of the built environment by about 20 to 30 percent. Um, so that's why I focus. That's why I focus this on manage water-like inventory because we needed a paradigm shift about how we think about water. <laughs> you know, we think about it as an uncontrolled expense. Well, that, we can't do that anymore. Well, uh, we shouldn't do that. We got a lot of water. <laughs> yeah. Threat. You look at the maps. Everybody gets all worried about it. We waste this stuff like you wouldn't believe it. It yep. is crazy. So we eliminate the waste. We've just now radically increased our supply. 
Right. Frank, I, I know you can't see it, but I've been nodding my head the whole time you were answering that question. So um, let, let me ask you this. Here's, here's kind of the devil's advocate in, is that, look, if we conserve so much water because the utilities, uh, financials, their, their, their cost structure is primarily a fixed cost structure. In other words, they're paying, you're primarily, primarily paying for the delivery devices. You're paying for the treatment plants. You're paying for the collection or the conveyance system, the distribution system. Um, by saving water, if everyone starts saving 18 to 20% of the water they're using, aren't our bills going to go up 18 to 20%? One could only hope. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Here, here's your deal. The um, uh, water authorities have to cover their costs. They will cover them. The, um, where do I start? The water is the number one consumer of electricity in the state of California. Wastewater treatment plants are the number one consumer of electricity in most first world cities. Pumping the water, getting it through our properties, collecting it, we're getting it through our properties where we throw all kinds of junk into it, garbage disposals. We use all, we throw stuff into our water so that it then can be pumped to a wastewater plant where we invest a phenomenal amount of electricity to then biologically remove that stuff. This is silliness. And this is what we do across our built environment. People talk about sustainability. People are all concerned about really big things like recycling and all that stuff. But we're not, we don't manage our water properly because it's out of sight, it's out of mind, and it, to date it has been quite clumsy. I get it. But if we if we can solve this problem, we can solve this problem. I have, we have the recipe. I can show you in great detail how it is solved. It needs to scale. We need to go everywhere. Yes. Yeah. It's the largest sustainability impact thing we can do to our cities today, right now, immediately. The, the energy rationale alone justifies this. Now, we're not going to make a whole lot more water. And as soon as the Colorado River is declared in shortage, I don't know how many months we're away from that, but maybe we'll get attention. Yeah. What? The attention that's needed. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, it's a zero sum game, and and the more water you can save, the more source of supply you can preserve, the the more opportunities you're going to have for economic development. Uh, in terms of of if you have the water, if you have the available capacity, that's going to be. I, you know, I've, I've talked on this podcast numerous times about how water is becoming more and more uh, one of the classic economic uh, factors of in terms of capital and labor and all that stuff, and so. Uh, I think in the future, if you've got a water supply, that is important to lure businesses there. And, and so you're going to be able to use that supply and with the additional customers and additional revenue sources that will help check rates as well. But I, but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right about uh, power and chemicals because those are two of the biggest categories uh, in addition to labor of uh, of uh, utilities ongoing O&M expenses. So I, I, I'm, I'm right with you, Frank. I, I, I appreciate you saying that. water rights at a much higher cost. And if you're buying those water rights from a river or a, a supply that is at risk, you could be buying phantom water. Second, a lot of our cities have a need. 
need to expand their wastewater treatment plants. For example, a wastewater a city is required to begin the process of designing an upgrade if their existing wastewater plant meets it receives 80% of its hydraulic capacity or 80% of its uh, contamination rate. That triggers a cascade of costs for our cities that I believe are unnecessary. To help our communities, we can just eliminate the waste. That is essentially the cheapest capacity you can buy, They're the cheapest water rights you can buy. Now, in Spokane, Washington, where I live, we have a billion gallons of water entering our trillion gallon aquifer a day, and we have a wastewater plant that's huge. And the water, the energy to pump the water comes from the river, it pumps to the top of the hill, and it runs back down from gravity. I can't make an argument for my stuff in my hometown. <laughs> but, but the entire Southwest, <laughs> you know, in, in, in many other communities, yeah, it's, it's um, I think it is a, uh, if it's not an issue today, it will be tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Well, well Frank, I, I've, I, I just want to thank you for coming on. You've been absolutely terrific. Uh, and I've, I've really appreciated your perspective on these things, talking about, uh, uh, you know, kind of the smart city and, and how to, you know, save water. Um, it, it's just been, it's just been a fascinating discussion. So I want to appreciate, um, and make sure that I, I mentioned that I appreciate you coming on. And, and for those who want to find out more about you and you mentioned Apana, where can they go to get that information? It's more on the uh, concept of eliminating water waste in real time, but there is a significant technology backbone that makes that possible. Uh, and for those who have wanted to deep dive a uh, component of the technology, uh, certainly reach out and uh, there's an awful lot to discuss there. Okay, great. Well, Frank, again, thanks so much for coming on. appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. You bet. Thanks, Frank. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Frank. Uh, great guy. And, uh, you know, he's really got some great ideas. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very excited to see him, uh, see his, you know, see Apana move over the, over the next couple of years, see how, they, see how they do, see other new entrants in the market uh, to help solve this problem of wasted water. I know there's, there's other folks out there doing this too now. Uh, but so I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited to see how that market develops over the next couple of years. Well, let me know what interested you about the podcast. You can leave your comments on the show notes, thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 131. Um, again, leave your comments. You can email me also at david at thewatervalues.com. You can tweet at me at DTM1993, or you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. Uh, and again, uh, if you haven't rated or reviewed the podcast, please consider doing so. Uh, again, we're at 91 ratings. Uh, we're trying to hit 100 by the end of 2018, uh, and we have four months to do it. So we only need two and a half, essentially two and a quarter a month, and we'll get there. So uh, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast. It would really help me out. Thank you so much. And if you'd like to help support the podcast, you know how to do it. Go to the website, click the PayPal button. Any denominations appreciated.
So in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. Listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. Information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.